We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of a Pack a Day podcast, wherever you may be and however you may be listening. Thank you so much for making us part of your day. My name is Nick Schmitz, and I am your host. And it's been a while since I've been on the podcast. Took a little bit of a break, um, filling in here and there. This is my first opportunity actually fill in this season, and um, it is well at the time of recording. It's Saturday evening, but you'll be hearing this Sunday, January tenth wild card weekend or what are they calling it gauge super super wild card weekend super wild card weekend the very first year of it it is um three games saturday three games sunday and uh gauge i don't know about you but um i from a like personal fan of like being a packers fan and only one buy in each conference like i wasn't a huge fan of it from only having one buy but i have to say like just as like having three games on Saturday and it's what eight thirty Lambo time right now. And so we're in the middle of the Tampa Bay game as we're recording this. And it's interesting. It's a lot of fun from a, from a fan perspective. I'm enjoying the hell out of just having sat down on my couch at noon and watching football all day tomorrow. And I have the exact same plan for tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it's been a lot of fun in that perspective. Um, and I think, my perspective has been so far this year, uh, it's so much fun this year because the Packers have the one seed and have the only buy. So as a Packer fan, it's like, great. But like, I don't know, like if you were a Bills fan or a Saints fan to have that number two seed this year and not like, and be playing this weekend, like kind of sucks. But like, as a, just as a spectator and a fan of football, like, this is really great. So I'm split on the whole idea of having triple headers both days. Obviously, it's great for from a viewing perspective, but um, you know, if you're that two seed, uh, maybe feels a little bit bitter. The Bills they took care of their business today, so it doesn't really matter in the perspective of having that home game next week. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, your thoughts so far on sitting through two and a half games so far? You know, I love watching football. I'm not gonna lie, but. These games today are taking forever. Like the four o'clock game, the one between the Rams and Seah- and Seahawks, that game just seemed to drag on. Like it ended on time, 
but just still seemed to take forever. The 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 Indian Buffalo game that one was really good. Uh, I live in for those that don't know, I live in Indiana, so there's a lot of bitter Colts fans uh, around me, and there I know that everyone's after Frank Reich's job because he went for it on fourth down in the in the red zone instead of kicking the field goal, and Rodrigo Blankenship missed a field goal, and those would have won in the game, but whatever. That game was fun to watch. That Rams Seahawks game was just gross from start to finish, man. I like, and then I had the game pulled up behind me between Tampa and Washington, and I'm interested to see if Washington's able to do a little bit better. They're down 11 right now. They'll get the ball to start the second half. I think that they're like Heineke's looked decent. He's not great, but against a good defense, he's not looked bad. So I'm enjoying getting to watch football, but it's I've been reminded how fast or how slow playoff football is. All year long, it's points, 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 big, explosive plays. So far, it's just been slogged fast, man. For three and a half, four hours, just dragging on. And you're, But you're going to sit there and you're going to watch because you have a problem and you can't look away from what's going on. And that's exactly why we have this right now is because the NFL is very aware of that. The NFL knew that people would be upset like I sort of was with the two seeds not having to buy this year. But they knew. They're like, you know what? You're going to sit down and you're going to watch it and you're going to consume it. So, and we can make more money out of it. So, yes. Um, but you know, it's interesting that you that you said, especially with that Ram Seahawks game. We're gonna we're gonna kind of look back at the games here a little bit. But you know, it was it was kind of a hard watch from my perspective. But like the scoreboard wouldn't make you think that it was like an odd game to watch. Like it kind of looked almost like what you'd expect out of the regular season. You know. 30 to 20 Rams, but like, you know, it was very defensive football. Seattle kind of getting a garbage touchdown at the end there. Um, but, you know, let's, let's go all the way back to the start of the day. Buffalo Indy, Buffalo 27, Indy 24. Um, Gage, just kind of your initial thoughts of that game. Um, Buffalo making, well, not, not history, but I mean, kind of a big day for them in the sense that their first playoff win in 25 years. I mean, I was, they actually did make a little. They actually did make a little bit of history. Fun fact: so Josh Allen is the first quarterback in history. History. That's not recent history. That's not in X amount of years. That's ever to have 300 plus yards, 50 plus rushing yards on the ground, and complete over 70 percent of his passes. No quarterback ever has done that in a playoff game. That's well. That's actually interesting, given. Like, I mean, you wouldn't expect Tom Brady because of the rushing yards, but, I mean, you'd think that maybe Aaron Rodgers would have done something like that at some point in his career. And, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, very limited in playoffs appearances so far, but even the fact that he hasn't done it. um, I think it's the percentage of passes. That's the main part because you factor in the fact that you're playing great defenses and you're playing the best defenses all year. We just – we'll talk about it in a bit. Russ looked bad, but – you're playing good defenses. It's it's hard to complete passes. So he completed over 70% of his passes here. I'm sure that there's been a quarterback to do the 300 yards through the air and 50 yards on the ground. My guess is it's that completion percentage one that's kind of held him back. All right. Well, yeah, but uh, for the Bills, first playoff win in 25 years. Uh, congratulations to them, um, Indianapolis Colts fans. Um, you, you know, it's one of those things – Great season, but under the old playoff format, you wouldn't have been here in the first place. So um, it was a fun game to watch. Um, interesting, though, Gage, I want to get your thoughts real quick. Um, the Colts at the end of the first half going for it on fourth and goal instead of kicking a field goal. Um, I kind of understand the thought process there, Indianapolis having a pretty good defense, thinking that, you know, Buffalo up until that point, like they'd scored one touchdown, but they'd kind of had a little bit of trouble moving the ball. Um, and you're thinking 96 yards in what, like two-ish minutes? I can't remember. Who it was, right was a little over two minutes, a little over two yeah, minutes. A little yeah. over two minutes. You probably aren't thinking that's going to happen. Um, and, you know, it, obviously we can sit here and second-guess it all we want now at this point, but were you surprised at all by the decision to go for the touchdown instead of kick the field goal there? For most coaches, I'd say no. Uh, Frank Reich has been pretty – that's been pretty much his M.O. all year long. That goes back to his time in Philly uh, where they went, obviously made their run to the Super Bowl, where they were very aggressive, going for fourth down a lot. The same thing happened here with this Colts team. They were going to be aggressive. They were down and close. Their running game was working very well. Jonathan Taylor only averaged 3.7 yards per carry on the day, but that wasn't indicative. He had a lot of big – chunk gains like he had a lot of eight nine yard ten ten yard runs 
on the day. So I so the move there, if you score the touchdown, you go up 10. And if you don't score, now Buffalo, like you said, has to drive 96 yards in like two minutes. While that's possible, that's not that's not just easy and cake and doable. It even took Josh Allen had to run in the touchdown. He didn't even throw that one. So I so I don't mind the call, and I think that if this game ends in either a Colts win or it ends in like or if the Colts get blown out, no one's second guessing that move. It's only because the Colts lost that anyone's second guessing it, and it's the classic hindsight is twenty twenty situation. Right. Well, and I also don't think it's. You know, we're kind of a little bit, I would say, more so on the side of it's leading the change already. But, you know, you're seeing coaches do this more often now. Uh, Matt LaFleur being a great example. Um, uh, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco of when you get down there, you know, that idea of your opponent, like if you don't score, your opponent's got to go 90-some-odd yards, you know, whether it's from the one Oh, you know, a little bit further back. So it seems like we're seeing more coaches do this now, going for it on fourth down in that goal to go goal to goal situation. So I don't think it's um, necessarily as uh, big of a surprise these days. And like I said, we're a little bit in that transition period. But I mean, you know, you say they lost by three, but you also assume that the rest of the game plays out the exact same way to get to the point of. Um, 27-24. And then, you know, in the second half, it was really interesting. Uh, You know, Buffalo at one point was up at, uh, what, 24-10 to near the end of the the third quarter there. Um, And then, you know, I kind of thought it was over after that Diggs touchdown when they went up 24-10. to Indianapolis obviously comes storming back. Uh, Interesting, though, although it had no effect on the game gauge, I also – the. One play that really stands out to me at the end of the game was that fumble. That, that was they, a fumble. That was a fumble. I don't care. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. I, I mean, you know, it was one of those things when I saw it in real time, I said they ruled him down. I was like, okay, that's probably right. But the more I looked at the replay, I was – and I know that they're probably going with the theory that, all right, we called it down on the field and it was close. But, I mean, I don't know how anyone looks at that replay and says that he was touched by anyone before his what is his right knee comes back up off the ground. Yeah, it was the right knee. Yeah, the the part that frustrates me more than anything was if when I when I hear the the rules analyst like I think Gene Steratore was on that one when he sits there and he's like, yeah, no, I don't know how you uh, mark that one as anything other than a fumble. Then call in somebody get Gene on the phone. <laughs> it's like like you're sitting here and you're reviewing all this stuff and that's the that's the guy's job is he's supposed to review it and they they go back and forth and they look if I can see it at home with my 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 basic TV screen if I can see it that's a problem if I can see it and you can't there's a problem there because I can see clear as day Poyer's hand hadn't quite got to Pascal and everyone's like oh well he gave himself up no he didn't I have Colts friends who admitted that that was a fumble. Like, people, I, like, whenever bias is involved, if I can hear a biased person admit, yep, that is the case, like, the call should have gone against us, that tells me that, that there should have been no way that that call was missed. Like, if I had, like, if Colts fan says, oh, no, that definitely wasn't a fumble, different story. But all of the ones I talked to were like, oh, yeah, no, that was a fumble. We got a lucky break there. So, ultimately, the Colts got a lucky break there and didn't, it shouldn't have even had the chances that they did at the end of the game. I know Rodrigo Blankenship should hit his field goal. The in fa- by the way, in fairness to the Bills, so outside of like in the second half, they went field goal, touchdown, field goal, and then they had the one drive that they punted, which was the one where Allen got sacked and then fumbled, and it was like a twenty-three yard loss, and then that whole drive got kind of messed up. But other than that, in the second half, they were they were running well in the like so from the first from that final drive on, which actually took place under the two-minute warning. So they drove the length of the field with under two minutes to go at the end of that first half. So I think that this Bills team is really good. I think that the Colts' defense played well, but ultimately the offense let them down, which is what I kind of expected to happen. Just Rivers isn't the guy to throw you into a game anymore. He didn't have the back-breaking interception that we all expected, but he also he just couldn't make those passes. Like he threw on second and third down. He, he wasn't even close. He had two balls that missed by a mile. 
Well, and, you know, it's interesting, too. I, I heard him say it on the broadcast, and, uh, you know, I wasn't quite certain. I, I haven't followed Philip Rivers as closely as of late, but they made a mention. I mean, that the Hail Mary that he threw on that last play, they were at least at midfield, if not slightly past it. And they had they said on the broadcast, like, oh, are you going to bring in um, – Oh, what the hell's his name? Jacoby Brissett is the is the name you're looking for. Yeah, Jacoby Brissett. Like, were they going to bring him in to throw the hail mary? And I was like, it's from like midfield. Philip Rivers can forty seven yard field goal is where the ball or forty seven yards is where the ball was snapped from. So assuming he releases it from five yards behind the line of scrimmage, that's a fifty two yard throw to the goal line. And 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 he didn't even get it there. He was like a yard or two short. It did not even reach the end zone. And I was a little surprised by that. But you know, it's interesting. Like you said, um, I, I think it's the the mo for Philip Rivers at this point. A lot of what I had heard leading up into this game was, you know, if Philip Rivers has to throw them back into the game, they're going to be in trouble. Um, and you know, I thought for a little while there in the first half, I, I thought it was really going the way Indianapolis wanted, where they were running the ball pretty effectively, and Philip. Rivers wasn't having to make a whole lot of plays in the first half there and then you know in the second half I mean I actually once like I said once Buffalo got up 24 to 10 I was like I don't really see any way in which Indianapolis comes back they made a game of it but I mean ultimately you see there in the end um, I love Philip Rivers to death I really do but um, just uh, fall a little short there so um, but so that was the first game um, as far as the Packers are concerned right now, doesn't really mean much to them other than Buffalo could potentially be a team they see if they, uh, they make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Let's move on to a game Packer fans are a little bit more interested in, Seattle and L.A. Um, Green Bay now knows they will be playing one of two teams. They will either be playing the Rams next weekend or they will be playing the Bears. And so interesting with this game, um, the first of two backup quarterbacks to start this game, um, and Gage, you got to help me out here. I didn't, I, I'll be honest. I had no idea who that guy was for the Rams starting the game today. John Wolford. Yeah. I had no idea. I, XFL it, legend. XFL. John Wolford of the St. Louis Battlehawks. Oh, wait, no, no, I'm getting him confused. Never mind. He's an AAF legend. I got him confused. My bad. Taylor oh. Heineke is the XFL legend who was the backup for the St. Louis Battlehawks. John Wolford was, uh, he played for, he played in the AAF. I can't remember what team he played for, but he led the league in passing touchdowns through eight games. He had 14 passing touchdowns, so not a bad option. Uh, he played. He started for them last week. He came in for relief of Goff a couple weeks ago when Goff uh, broke his thumb, and then obviously he left really early in the game. On a he scrambled and on a dive, he kind of got a shoulder to the top of the head from uh, Jamal Adams, which. Personally, I probably would have thrown a flag um, if I was the ref because they've been calling that kind of thing all year long. And I know that if Russell Wilson had been the one to make that slide, they would have thrown a flag. So I think that a flag should have been thrown. Ultimately, it wasn't. This Rams team just, their defense and running game was a problem today. Cam Akers, 28 carries, 131 yards and a score. Also had two catches for 45 yards on two targets. And he left the game early, too. Like, he left early, and Malcolm Brown came in and cleaned up the uh, the garbage time stuff. So Cam Akers set a Rams rookie record for scrimmage yards in the game, in, in the playoffs, and he could have had an even better day. Yeah, well, and, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, they with Wolford starting, um, I really kind of thought, I was like, well, if you look at this from just a purely quarterback matchup, like, Wolford versus Russell Wilson. You're going to give that to Russell Wilson every day. Are you? Well, I mean, I, I we, we will never know because he was three for six for 29 yards before leaving the game. But, um, man, I don't know. Like, I came into today rooting for the Rams for two reasons. A, I, as a Packer fan, um, I won't mention a certain 2014 game against the Seattle Seahawks, which I was talking about. Exactly. I don't think anyone listening knows, but uh, for that reason, I just, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to see Russell Wilson move on. He, he concerns me. Um, granted, Green Bay wouldn't have had to play Seattle next week at all to begin with, but just to get him out of the playoffs. But I also kind of, you know, the Rams, they kind of seem to stumble down the stretch at the end of the of the season. But after watching their game today, um, that defense looks problematic for anyone that has to play it. I mean, 
I guess I don't know. I don't watch a whole lot of L.A. Rams games living here in Green Bay, but, like, that was disturbing to – I mean, not, like, actually disturbing, but it was it was concerning. Like, if you're a Packers fan watching that defense, um, and, like, even with some of it um, – with um, Aaron Donald getting hurt and, like, not being in the game all of the fourth quarter and the Rams still got after Russell Wilson – um, just kind of your thoughts on this Rams defense as a potential opponent for Green Bay next weekend. Well, for one, so you had Jalen Ramsey locking up DK Metcalf. DK had 11 targets on the day, caught five of them, should have caught at least six. There was the one that he dropped and everyone tried to clown him for, but you, you know what? Do me a favor. I'm going to come out and I'm going to throw a 90 mile an hour fastball at your face. I'm going to have, I'm going to have my friend Nick here put his hand in front of your face about two feet before you got to catch the ball, and then you catch the ball and you let me know how that goes for you. This Rams defense is going to put Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams, and I think Jalen Ramsey is a great corner. I think he's one of the best corners in football. I also think Devontae Adams is playing at another level right now, and it does not matter what Jalen Ramsey does. I think Devontae Adams is a matchup-proof receiver, and after that, this Rams defense is kind of an issue because so with Seattle, they locked down DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett didn't get more involved because Russ never had time. This Packers offensive line is much better. Even without Bakhtiari, it's still a much better offensive line than the Seattle group. Seattle's trotting out, I think it's Mike Upati, who is, I believe, 35 or 36 years old and has dealt with injuries every year for the last five years. You have Oh man, I can't. I can't even. Uh, Pochich, Austin Pochich, I believe is is on the is on this roster. Just their offensive line isn't good. It's been a problem year after year, and everyone's confused. Oh, why are the Seahawks struggling? So it's Dwayne Brown on at left tackle, Mike Potty at left guard, e- Ethan Pochich, Damian Lewis, and Brandon Shell. Damian Lewis is a decent guard, especially for a rookie, and Dwayne Brown is a decent left tackle, but. Against this Rams front, it's a problem. You have Floyd. You have uh, Ashawn Robinson as a rotational guy. You have Aaron Donald, obviously. You have Morgan Cox. There's This front is deep, but I also think that the Packers' offensive line is good enough to deal with the blows. And Aaron Rodgers is just a better quarterback than Russell Wilson is. I don't care what anybody has to say. If you disagree with me, go watch the last two months of those two quarterbacks play football. Aaron Rodgers is the better quarterback right now. And he's five years older than Russell Wilson is. So I'm nervous, but I'm also not I'm not all that concerned. I, I'm just not. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program... You'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Interestingly enough, I mean, Jared Goff, uh, give him credit today. He was only 9 of 19 for 155 yards and a touchdown, but I mean, Considering that he had what they said three screws placed in his uh, yeah, thumb, three, on his, uh, three pin three pins in his hand or in his thumb, yeah, yeah, three pins in his thumb. What like twelve days ago? Um, yep. Gutsy performance, nonetheless. Um, if he does, if if it is Green Bay next week that they that they play. Um, interestingly enough, I don't know enough medical stuff, um, but I would imagine that. That thumb is going to be not as well off in 10-degree weather next weekend. Um, I mean, he'll have, at that point, 18, 19 days from the surgery, but that's still a broken thumb. Um, Any, I mean, mean, clearly an injury 
to someone always plays to an advantage. But, I mean, after you saw Jared Goff today, um, if I would assume at this point um, with the neck injury uh, that Goff would probably be the starter next weekend. Is that fair to say? Most likely. Uh, so I did a quick Google search. A broken finger or thumb usually heals within two to eight weeks. However, it can take longer. It may be three to four months before full strength returns to your hand. There were a few balls on the day that we saw Goff kind of sail because he didn't have a good full grip on the ball. And everyone's like, oh, that had to have gotten tipped. Then you watch, and it's like, no, it didn't get tipped. He just couldn't grip it as well as he needed to. I think, yeah, Goff will be the starter. And I think that he's going to have some trouble in Green Bay, especially if it's cold. I don't know the the Green Bay weather forecast off the top of my head, but something tells me it's not going to be warm up there. And let's see, let's take a quick look ahead here. I don't get I don't I don't get Sunday weather. I get Saturday weather. It's cloudy and cold. So next Saturday it's supposed to be uh, 25 degrees is the high, and next Sunday it's supposed to be 25 with a 30 percent chance of snow. Okay, so, yeah, so I think that that'll cause an issue for Goff. What Green Bay will need to do is the same thing they did against Tennessee. Get out to a quick lead. Don't try. Don't get into a hole against this Rams defense because they'll be able to pin their ears back on you and really cause an issue. Again, we could be playing the Bears next week. I know we're talking a lot about the Rams, but this is all presuming that the Bears are going to lose. Uh, now, today against the Saints with um, Roquan Smith out, Darnell Mooney out, Trubisky starting who I think Trubisky's better than Nick Foles, and I think he's better than he gets credit for. But I think that the Bears could upset the Saints. They played them to a one-score game earlier this year, but with Michael Thomas back, Alvin Kamara back, Andrew Brees playing, uh, I'm going to ultimately pick the Saints to win that game. But So I'm presuming a Rams matchup. As, as long as Green Bay doesn't get behind, I think they're fine. It's if they get behind and have to throw their way back into the game and this pass rush can just tee off on Rodgers all day. All right, so one last question here, Gage, with the, the Rams and the Seahawks here. Any one thing really stand out to you from that game that just as if you're a Packers fan, like if it's that if that's the same next week or just anything that really stood out to you from that game today? Be glad that the Packers front office has invested in offensive line depth. This Seahawks, I just talked about it a little bit ago. This Seahawks offensive line is bad. It's been bad for Russell Wilson's entire career, and it is cont- and it's been the reason they've perennially underwhelmed. Once their elite defense dropped off, you you're expecting Russ to just pull rabbits out of his hat, and he can't do that week after week. He could do that against bad teams, but good defenses are going to take advantage of that. So for Green Bay, yes, it sucks that we lost Bakhtiari, but be glad that you have an all-pro in Elton Jenkins on the offensive line. You have Billy Turner, who has played well this year, especially compared to how he played last year. Rick Wagner was brought in as a swing tackle for the offseason, and he has started and he plays decently well. You have Corey Lindsley, who is an all-pro center. You have Lucas Patrick, who, outside of a couple of rough snaps here and there, has played really well all year. So be glad that you have offensive line depth, because when you don't, or when you just ignore the offensive line, you see Russell Wilson complete 11 passes on 27 attempts. And it's at home, and it's bad. Well, that is certainly one thing, too, that I'm sure everyone will be keeping an eye on next week if it is the Rams indeed. But let's move to the Sunday games here, uh, Gage. So the first one, noon kickoff, uh, rematch of last year, uh, Baltimore and Tennessee. Uh, Who do you like in this one? I'm I'm taking Baltimore. Baltimore is currently favored by three right now on the spread uh, on the money line. They're minus 175 favorites. If the Titans had gotten a new defensive coordinator or just kept Dean Pease, who was who they had last year, I would be more into the Tennessee thing. But just this defense looks terrible. They can't stop anybody. I think that Lamar is going to be able to run very well and very effectively. J.K. Dobbins gives them a spark that Mark Ingram didn't. Hollywood Brown is still underwhelming as a player, but I still think that he's explosive. And I think that this Ravens defense is more prepared for Henry this year. And So ultimately, I'm going Ravens here. I just think that they're the better team. I think they're going to have their full reserve of weapons, and uh, especially on defense, they're going to have Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, and Marcus Peters all active. So other than A.J. Brown, like A.J. Brown and Corey Davis are a good duo on the outside, and Derrick Henry's obviously good. I don't think that they have the defense to match up. 
Yeah, and, you know, I, I tend to agree with that. Baltimore is, I don't know how much of it you want to call a revenge game from last year, but, I mean, certainly more than anything, um, Baltimore is not going to take Tennessee for granted this year. And, I mean, all you really have to do is look to, to what, two, three weeks ago when when Green Bay just ran all over uh, that Titans defense. And as good as Green Bay is at running the football, I feel like Baltimore, just based on the way their team is built, um, is better at it than Green Bay is. And not that, again, not that Green Bay is not good at it, but when you compare the two side by side, I just don't see this Titans defense really being able to hold up. I think the best case scenario for the Titans is to get into a high scoring shootout and hope that you get a turnover that, you know, rolls in your favor for that game. So um, I tend to agree with you there. We'll move on to the the other big game that Packer fans will be looking at for next week, uh, or, yeah, heading into next week anyway, uh, Bears and Saints. Um, I heard something, Gage, earlier this week that the Bears have not won in New Orleans since, like, the 80s. So, I mean, take that for what you will. Um, but um, – I mean, it's an eight and eight team versus the twelve and four Saints. I mean, I assume we're all, for the most part, as long as we're not talking about the spread, um, we're we're taking the Saints here. I would assume, right? Yeah, uh, I've been a somewhat of a Bears like pro proponent this year. I've been like anytime someone just tries to rag on the Bears and say, "Oh, the Bears are bad. The Bears are bad. Whatever. They're the classic Bears. Bears still suck. Whatever." The Bears aren't as bad of a team as everyone makes them out to be. If And I had this discussion briefly with Jacob Westendorf on Twitter the other day that if Mitch Trubisky starts the entire season, the Bears finish better than 8-8. Eight and eight. And everybody's like, oh, well, you can't guarantee that. They went on a six-game skid with Nick Foles. And they had, I think, four or five one-score games in that stretch. You mean to tell me that Trubisky, who has made the offense look functional, is not better than – is not one score better? You tell me, like, they could have flipped maybe one of those, maybe two of those games, and they finished 10 and 6 instead of 8 and 8. And then they are fighting for, and they, since they beat the Bucks, they would have been in the 5 seed. And then the Bucks would have been playing, and then the Bucks would have been the, would have been the 6th seed, and then the Rams would have been the 7th seed. So, it's all, like, it's just those little things that could have happened. I don't know the history on the whole Bears losing or beating so let's see they the bears beat the saints in 91 in new orleans and then they beat and then they lost to the saints in 83 okay so it looks like no so it was 91 91's the last time the bears have won in new orleans it looks like based on your statistic Okay, and I, I heard that on the radio, and I, you know, eighties, early ninety-one. I mean, it's been forever since they. It's won. a while, yeah, still a while. It, it, it's been a while, although that doesn't mean anything yeah. uh, necessarily. But uh, just an interesting thing. But uh, I mean, I would agree. I think Mitch Trubisky makes this offense um, much better than Nick Foles does, and I would. My biggest reasoning for believing in Trubisky over Foles is the fact that. Uh, their offensive line isn't what I would call stellar in Chicago and Mitch Trubisky's ability to actually move the pocket and, you know, extend plays with his feet really, you know, plays in well to that, not having a fantastic offensive line. Um, and I mean, you know, eight and eight, yes, I would say they're probably a little bit better than that record. Uh, obviously their defense is not something that you want to fully mess with, but um you know, I I mean, New Orleans was a team last year, Gage, that, you know, I remember they came in as the three seed. They played the Vikings uh, in the wild card round. And I kind of thought the same thing last year with the Saints, that they would walk into New Orleans in wild card weekend and pretty much roll right over the Vikings. And that didn't happen. And so, I mean, is there any concern with this Saints team? Um, just, you know, I know Breeze is He's had injuries again this year. Um, obviously, he's you know not getting any younger. Uh, is there any worry with fatigue for for Breeze and the Saints? I mean, I, I guess more so than anything, this isn't necessarily going to be a walk away game for the Saints. Is, is kind of what I'm thinking for tomorrow. Yeah, the spread's plus ten, like for Chicago. I don't have any money on this game yet. I'll probably get some money on it in the morning. I I would feel confident in the Bears covering that. The only the only thing that's going to make the Bears get blown out in this game is if Trubisky or the or the offense turns the ball over a lot, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, that's that's definitely going to happen with Trubisky." Trubisky has a two to one touchdown to interception ratio this year, which it's not perfect, but it's not bad. 
he had a he had like a key fumble in the what, what was it the Minnesota game or the Detroit game? I think it was the Detroit game. I don't know. He had a key fumble late in one of those games, and it resulted in a loss. Oh, yeah, it was the Detroit game at home. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so there was that game, and they should have won. He had a key fumble there, whatever. Other than that, he's played really well since he came back. If you're a Saints fan and you're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to roll him, you're basing it entirely on your defense. You can't have confidence in this offense the way that Drew Brees is playing. Unless he's just going to hyper-target Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, who is now back, you have to be worried because Drew Brees' arm has looked not good. Everyone was saying that this Saints team is the favorite to win. The only way they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl this year is if their defense drags them there. And with Trey Hendrickson still dealing with an injury, your starting center is out out for the rest of the year. He's on injured reserve. You have a lot of question marks here. Drew Brees could disappear at any time. Also, Taysom Hill continues to get touches, which he should not. So... And that can cost you the game. Just go ahead and ask Taysom Hill about the Packer game this year. That, yes, Green Bay won that game and had other stuff that they did right, but that play swung it. That fumble at midfield swung the game in Green Bay's favor. So I think that the Bears have a chance to win this game. I legitimately do. I Like I said, I've been really high on the Bears this year compared to a lot of people, especially in Packer in the Packer world. I think the Bears are better than they get credit for. They're an 8-8 eight and eight team, and I think that they have a chance to cover the spread tomorrow at plus 10, and I think they have a chance to win because their defense, their defense is good. Roquan Smith is out, which isn't great, and Buster Screen's out, which isn't great. But since the Saints only have one wide receiver anyway that Drew Brees throws to, it doesn't matter how many corners you're missing. He only throws to one person. Well, so interesting last quick question here. So I, Green Bay this year against Chicago. So let's let's put this out here first. If the Bears beat the Saints, Green Bay automatically gets the Bears next weekend. And Green Bay is 2-0 against the Bears this year. They kicked the ever-living crap out of them in Chicago uh, or, or in Green Bay uh, right after Thanksgiving. Um, and then just last weekend, um, you know – I, I guess I don't know how people kind of looked at it. The scoreboard said it wasn't necessarily as kind of close as it felt had about halfway through the third quarter there. Um, but Green Bay beating them twice this year. There's that old adage gauge of, you know, you, you don't want to play a team. It's hard to beat a team three times in the, in the same, in the same season. Um, and if Chicago beats the Saints, that's what Green Bay is going to be looking at. They're going to be looking at beating a division opponent for the third time in the same season in order to move on to the NFC Championship game. Uh, it's interesting. Part of the reason why I thought the Rams could beat the Seahawks today was literally because they were a division opponent. Um, is there any concern for Packer fans in the sense of that? Like, is there any reason as a Packer fan that you would just want to say, you know what, just root for New Orleans. That way you don't have to see a division rival for the third time this year. No, I don't. Th- I, if you are nervous about that, you're the same person that was all day long trying to figure out all the different scenarios about who Green Bay was going to play. Uh, oh well, if this team wins and this team wins, we're going to play. Da, 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 and stop it. Just play who you get. It doesn't matter. It, since 1950, 17 times has a team beaten an opponent three times in the same season. Green Bay has done it twice. In 1965, they beat the Baltimore Colts three times in one year. And in 1997, they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers three times in one season. It happens. People, You're going to face your opponents three times in a year. The Steelers are getting ready to do it this week. Yes, I understand the Steelers lost last week. But if the Steelers played their starters, they would have beat the Browns. Anybody that doesn't say that did not watch that game last week. The Browns won by two points, and they should not have won by that much against backups. So I'm not nervous about it. I think that Green Bay is still the better team than Chicago. Chicago's got guys dealing with injuries. Trubisky is, a, like I said, a good quarterback, but Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest of all time and, in my opinion, the most talented quarterback we've seen to date. Mahomes might pass him by the time it's all said and done, but right now Rodgers, especially at the age he is, doing the things he's doing, I have no doubts about this Green Bay team. Also, uh, in case for whatever reason there are any Bears fans listening, the Bears had actually beaten the Saints, beat the Saints in New Orleans in 2005, uh, in like November of 2005, and then beat them in 91. So only two times since 1991 in New Orleans had they beat them. But I did look it up. There are two victories since then, but 
yeah, answering your original question, no. No issues about the whole three t- three times in a season thing. All right, well, I know we're running close on time here. Uh, one last game to get to real quick, but before I do that, Gage, I just got to ask you. You pulled that stat of three times in one year, 17 times since 1950. Where do you where do you find that? Do you just do you just Google that or, or Google? What? Is that, yeah, no. That when you're when you're sitting there talking I, and vamping, I'm googling. That's what I'm doing. So people like my mic is very sensitive and picks up stuff. So you will hear me clicking or you'll hear me typing on my keyboard. And that's what I'm doing often. Like, I know some people on other podcasts, they're like, oh, well, I have a whole show sheet with all my information. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't do that. Uh, If there's a specific stat I want, I will make sure to have that written down. But most of the time, I'm Googling it and getting it on the fly, which is what I did here. I Googled how many times has a team beaten an opponent three times in one season. It was the top result, 17 times since 1950, the most recent of which was the Cowboys beating the Eagles in 2009. There you go. Google, what would we do without it? We would all perish and burn if we did not have Google. Probably. That's probably very true. So, all right, well, one last game to get to here real quick before we wrap up. I'm sure we are way over on time. But uh, real quick, uh, Cleveland and Pittsburgh tomorrow night. Um, First time Cleveland's been in the playoffs since, what, 2007, I think it is? Uh, and Pittsburgh no, it's, uh, it's longer than that because they should have made it in like 07 and they didn't because of tiebreakers they went 10 and 6 that year it was the Derek Anderson year it's been I think this is the first time since 02 02 all right so it's been, so regardless it's been a very long time for them as well um but um so again you got another division opponent third time in the same season uh they just played each other last weekend and i mean this is one of those games where I feel like it would have been interesting uh, to watch if everything was fine and copacetic, but with all the injuries and COVID and everything for the Browns, I mean, it's still an NFL game. It's still the playoffs. But, I mean, are are we looking at this game as probably the not least entertaining, but the one that we probably are dismissing the most just due to everything. I mean, with with everything, I mean, the Browns don't even have their head coach for this weekend, which, I mean, some people say that's more overstated than it needs to be. But, I mean, that's got to be difficult to go into a playoff game for a franchise that hasn't been there in 18 years and not have your head coach. I mean, Or offensive coordinator. They're both out. Yeah, so, I mean, they've got so many COVID issues there. I mean, more than anything, if I was Pittsburgh, I'd just be more worried about having to win the game and get out of there without contracting more COVID from someone. Um, but, I mean, I'm assuming this is a, a Pittsburgh game all the way, just given all the issues that, that Cleveland's facing coming into this game. Yeah, it's and it sucks. Uh, like you said, this is the first time the Browns have made the playoffs since 2002. This is their only their third playoff berth since 1990. So in the last 30 years, so like if you're 30 years or you're younger, you've only this is only your third time seeing the playoffs. And two of those, one of those came in 1994. So if you're like 20 years old, you this is only your second playoff berth ever, and you don't even remember the first one because you were two years old. So it just it really sucks for the Browns because they're. Their injury report is like right now is out with uh, COVID. They have injured an injured reserve uh, for a offensive lineman. They have a neck injury, illness injuries. They have COVID out the wazoo for coaches and players alike. It's just it's unfortunate for them to have a good season and then get this far and then the entire thing to get derailed because of because of this. Granted, from what I've heard, the reason that they're having all this COVID issue is more their fault. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, similar to the uh, the Broncos quarterback situation when they were busted for, like, everybody hanging out too close and not having a mask on. From what I've heard, the Browns were doing something similar. They were hanging out too close, didn't have a mask on, and it came back to bite them. But, yeah, the Steelers, for it being an old team, which they are, surprisingly healthy. Joe Hayden has, uh, was like, got COVID, was out last week, and then might miss this week. But other than that, there's no one on the injury report. There's just nothing there. And I'm like, how are you guys old and were beat up all year long and you're just magically have nothing this week? Well, you know, the one thing I will say for the Browns, if anything, I mean, and I don't know, you know, this is this is all just looking at certain statistics and thinking, you know, where does it break for the Browns? I mean, is it concerning for Pittsburgh at all that you started the season 11-0 and and in the last five weeks – 
They've only won one game. Now, granted, we did talk, we did mention last week that yes, if Pittsburgh had played their starters, I don't think there's any reason to believe Pittsburgh wouldn't have won that game. Um, so you, but I mean, you're still, if you even, if you exclude that game, they're one in three in games and the one that they won was against the Colts, which I mean, wasn't overly, I mean, I mean, they should have won that game. The Colts should have won that game. The Colts blew it. Exactly. So, I mean, you're looking at a team here in Pittsburgh that, yes, they're healthy. Um, you know, the three seed, they're 12 and four. They started 11 and 0, though. And you're talking about a team, though, that maybe should have finished the season 11 and five, you know, all things considered. So, I mean, is that anything that Cleveland, not necessarily that Cleveland can build on, but is it, is it any type of concern that, like, this is not the time of year for any football team where you want to be saying, yeah, we're what? One in, you know, one in, what is four. it? Four in the last five weeks. I mean, that, that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's not going to change come tomorrow, but I mean, is that an issue? Are you worried at all if you're the Steelers about that? Like, I subscribe to the idea that you want to be playing your best football at this time of year. But at the same time, I also have to factor in the Steelers were the only team in the NFL this season that did not have a typical bye week. They they had two different – they had one week where they, it turned into their bye week, but they practiced up until, like, Friday, and then the game got canceled. And then they had another week when then where their original bye week was supposed to be. They obviously had a game that week. So the Steelers played – just nonstop, like they did not have a week off, whereas every other team had at least one week off. So for an older team to not have a true bye week, I think that that did pose an issue. And if they were playing a more like a team that wasn't dealing with all of this COVID stuff, yeah, I'd be concerned. But with your like two two of your starting offensive linemen dealing with injuries, uh, and it's both your left side, you have Wyatt Teller and Jack Conklin, who are your or you have Wyatt Teller on the right side, you have or on the left side and Jack Conklin on the right side. Those are big issues, and if neither one of those guys play, which Jack Conklin did not practice on Friday, that can cause you a serious issue because you're a running team. That's what you want to do, and if Nick Chubb can't get going, the Steelers are just going to pile it on. If the Steelers were playing a team such as Baltimore or Tennessee that was at full strength, I would be really concerned, but against a Cleveland team that's missing half the roster and coaching staff to COVID, I'm not super worried about it. All right, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a great talking point for everyone to talk about, but any concerns with Juju Smith-Schuster's, uh, comments about the Browns being the Browns and gray faces that, you know, any, any concern he's, he's been very controversial this year with his dancing on the logos. And I think the dancing on the logo, anybody that's mad about it, you're old and stupid. And you need to go away. You didn't have a problem with him dancing on the logo when they were 11 and 0. You only had a problem with it when they lost. If you ha- so if you have a problem with him dancing on the logo, shove it. You didn't say a word for 11 weeks, and then you decide it's a problem now that they lost. You're an idiot. I don't care. Juju said what he said. I read the full context of the – I read the question that was asked. I read his full statement. I don't think it was a problem. And I also don't think that his teammates think he's a problem. He, like if other people think, oh, he's a thorn or he's playing the heel like for a wrestling term – Sure, other people might think that, but his team doesn't think that way. They love Juju up there. They were sitting there dancing with him in the locker room after the game, like when they won. So I don't care. I think that Juju, like what he said, his statement was taken out of context, and it was not as bad as it. He basically was just like, it's just like playing anybody else. They got some good players over there. At the end of the day, they're great faces. They're the Browns. They're the Browns. They're the same team I play every year, whatever, move on. So what he said was just taken out of context. It wasn't as bad as everyone made it seem. Um, and even it, like if he think like if he has fun being the heel or being a thorn player, as long as his teammates don't don't mind, who cares? And if you, like I said, if you have a problem with the dancing stuff, you better have the receipts to show you had a problem with it from week one because I didn't hear a single word from anybody when they were when they were winning. No one cared. As soon as they lost, then you wanted to come after him. You don't get to do that. You don't get to pick and choose when it does and is not allowed. Gage, if I remember right, you, you work at a hospital, right? I do. You should you should work in sports radio. You would that that was that was a great response. Um, yeah, you sh- you should do this. You should do this for a living. Well, Nick, you know what? If anybody out there is hiring for sports radio. Let me know. I I am willing to talk about just about any sport under the sun, even if it's freaking curling, man. Curling is electric. So 
whatever you got, you let me know. Uh, everybody, my Twitter is gbridgefordnfl. Send anything in there, and if you have any job opportunities, I will more, be more than willing to look at them. All right. Well, hey, there you go. That's a perfect segue to wrap up the show here. I'm sure, Gage, we were way over on time. We talked before we started recording here. Ah, what, like 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes at the most. I'm willing to bet we're probably pushing an hour here of some sort. We're only uh, 45. We're good. All right. All right. You know, that's actually, you know, considering we covered six games, that's actually not too bad. I'll, I'll take that. All right. Well, um, real quick wrap up here, Gage, real quick. I know you just put it out there, but if people want to follow you on social media, get in touch with you, follow your work, how do they do that? You can find me on Twitter at GBridge for the NFL. Every single article I write, which right now I'm kind of taking kind of a back seat just with the NFL regular season finally ending. I'm still doing draft coverage. I'm still covering the Denver Nuggets for Denver Stiffs dot com and doing a few other things you can, but you can find all of my stuff on my twitter i'll kick up my amount of writing here in the next couple of weeks right now i'm just working on just general content stuff uh for myself just because it was a slog i was doing roughly 12 to 15 articles per week on top of some other stuff i was working on so i've taken kind of a back seat but go ahead and uh you can find all of my stuff on there uh i answer and i tell everybody this every time i answer every single dm i you send me even if it's just you saying hey the article you wrote today sucks i will say hey thanks for the click <laughs> you know that that is what we call a grinder right there 12 to 15 articles a week uh absolutely love it all right well uh, that's all the time we have for today. My name is Nick Schmitz. Uh, you cannot find any of my work on Twitter because I do not have a Twitter because I am an old man. Uh, if you have any questions about anything for me, uh, you can send them to Jacob Westendorf. You can find him on Twitter at Jacob Westendorf. Uh, I'm sure he would love to answer any questions that you might have about me because I do not have a Twitter because, like I said, I am old. Thank you, uh, Tyler, for uh, giving Tyler Gus work for giving me the opportunity to fill in. Thank you, Andy Herman, as well, for the opportunity to be able to fill in today. Gage, thank you for putting up with me. Uh, I know you don't typically work with me. Hopefully it went well, and uh, hopefully everybody is uh, happy to at least hear me back for one episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast. So with that, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And as always, Go Pack Go! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.